1818, Mark Brunel patented the tunnelling shield, within which workers would excavate the tunnel by hand and then line it with bricks. He was inspired by a tiny mollusk called a shipworm, which would bore its way into the wooden holes prevalent at the time. It protected itself from the swelling wood with a secretion that would harden around the walls of its burrow, inspiring the protective outer shell of a tunnelling shield. Ever since this first inspiration from nature, efforts have been made to distance workers from the ground. Over the next two centuries, mechanisation advanced and workers were no longer required to physically excavate the face by hand. Further developments meant that fewer and fewer people were required in the shield, as mucking operations and other services were gradually automated. The gains in efficiency are impressive, it's true, and advance rate records are set and broken every year. But underground construction is inherently dangerous, and while new technology, new understanding and new processes help to reduce hazards... The best way to ensure someone is safe is to remove them from an unsafe environment. And so that is what we try to do. It is strange to think, now that tunnel boring machines are ubiquitous, but the early shields were incredibly strange to the industry. A Thames Tunnel Office report from 1835 brought the full Victorian vocabulary to bear in an effort to explain the machine. It included wonderful terms like capacious apparatus. In this 1835 report, the reader was asked to picture the machine as a kind of horizontal cofferdam. It gives you an idea of how unusual the early shield was. But that was it. Once it was developed, it was revolutionary. The industry took the innovation, advanced it, and nowadays the TBM is proving itself in the final few niches still occupied by more traditional methods. For more information on the invention of the original tunnelling shield, check out our March episode, The Men Behind the Shield, for the full swashbuckling story behind the original shield and how Brunel met his co-designer, Lord Cochrane. But this episode, we are going in a different direction. This episode, we are going to look at what happens when some of the ideas and developments that came from centuries of working with this horizontal cofferdam are sent back to their roots, back to engineers working in the vertical. The thought has a pleasing symmetry. Hello and welcome to the Tunnelling Podcast, the official podcast of the British Tunnelling Society. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Tim Sheehan. In this episode, we have partnered with Heron Connect to look at the use of mechanisation in shaft sinking. Specifically in the mining sector. And this is a methodology that has been in use since the 1970s. But it is one that has seen a huge surge in interest over the last two decades. And following that, a number of standardised models have entered the market. To talk about this, we are joined by two engineers who bring together years of experience in mechanical engineering and decades of mining know-how. My name is Roy Slocum. I was previously managing director of uh, Heron Connect's uh, UK subsidiary, uh, now semi-retired. My interests have always been in tunneling. Even from you know when I was uh, when I was a young boy, I can remember reading the books in the local library on Brunel and the, the Alpine tunnels, uh, and also on mining. When I left school, I started working the coal mines in South Wales, and since then, um, nearly all, well, my entire career has been work associated with, with mining and tunnelling. 
and Roy is joined by. So my name is Patrick Renkamp. I'm working at or with Herrenknecht since 2002. I started as a mechanical engineer. In 2013, Patrick moved into the mining department. And since that date, I'm a product manager for shaft boring machines. Heron Connect has enjoyed a dominant position in tunneling for years. But Patrick says that investment in mining is part of a more recent push for diversification. And our, let's call it smaller, mining department is going to restructure, modify or find application which we can then serve with proven technology, more or less. Patrick says that it's always a challenge to enter from an established to a new market. And there are cultural differences that we will all talk about later. But before we dive into this episode, we need to talk about terminology. Civil engineering is awash with initialisms, and tunnelling is no exception. You will be hearing a number of terms in this episode, so here's a quick summary. And we have stuck to the English names for these three pieces of equipment. The VSM, or vertical shaft machine, is the smallest of the three. It is primarily for civil engineering processes, not mining, and can operate in an urban environment. The shaft is flooded, and a rotating cutting drum excavates the ground at the end of a telescopic boom. The bottom ring of the shaft is fitted with a steel cutting edge and attached to lowering units on the surface by steel cables, allowing a controlled descent for the lining. It is designed for diameters ranging from 4.5 to 18 meters, and geology ranging from soft ground to ATMPA rock. The SBR, or shaft boring road header, is much larger. This piece of kit has been in the news the most recently, and we will focus on it. It's 7 to 12 meters in diameter and is designed for rock. That is, soft to medium hard consolidated rock, up to 120 megapascals. It is effectively set up like a cable-suspended, semi-mechanized TBM equipped with a road header. This is the marriage of the VSM cutting with a hard rock TBM layout for the working decks. And it can operate in tandem with ground freezing technology to get through water bearing geology. The SBC, or shaft boring cutter head, is the giant of the family. It's effectively an eight to nine meter vertical hard rock gripper TBM with a cutter head designed for working at depths of up to or exceeding one kilometer. With its gripper arms, it can effectively walk up and down the shaft. So although Heron Connect gives one kilometer as the depth limit, this is probably another record that's begging to be broken. In the modern era, by which I mean the past 20 years, the move to mechanization begins at the Janssen Potash Project in Saskatchewan, Canada. This is the largest potash project in the world, owned by BHP Billiton now just known as BHP, an Anglo-Australian mining company. They needed to excavate two shafts of 10 metre in diameter to a depth of one kilometre. And according to Roy, the client was asking the contractor DMC one thing. BHP pushed DMC to look at mechanisation. They were very keen to get the safety benefits of mechanised shaft sinking. And it was recognised that uh, mechanization you would take the the people out to the work people out to the most hazardous areas at the bottom of the shaft they therefore looked at several possibilities around the world and when they came to Heron Connect 
I, I can remember sitting across the table from, from their directors and he said, these guys can do it. And from then, it was just about progressing known technology. The VSM, which was mainly aimed at, at uh, caisson shafts for, for pipe jacking operations. But there, the development there was the incorporation of, of a, a muck extraction system with the cutting drum. And okay, slightly different, that was flooded caissons. But when Heron Connect were then looking for diversification within the mining and other aspects of tunneling industries, it was looking toward shaft sinking. Boom, a new sector is born, out of safety requirements. Okay, but it is not as simple as that. The ground was fiendish. Here's Patrick. So one for sure is safety. That's one of the biggest driver for BHP Billiton. But they also the shafts have been 1,000 meters deep and 700 meters have been frozen. And it's specifically for this ground. So there was one layer which was called the Blairmore layer. An underground lake with 50 bar water pressure and fine abrasive sands. So these challenge in 500 meter depths caused a lot of trouble in the past, therefore they even had to install um, steel cast tubbing inside this frozen body. But that makes this uh, entire project slightly more challenging than others. And therefore with the mechanized solution, they also, uh, the, the plan was to not harm, for example, the ground, to just cut clearly and have not these explosives with all these uh, impact on the frozen or freezing body, for example. A delicate solution then. But what about lining? We have different positions on the machine where we can bring in lining. So on um, above the bench, roughly eight meter, there is a lining deck. I just try to mention that we have the opportunity for shotcrete or shaft forms, for example, which are hanging on the SBR when the forms are empty. But there is an inbuilt sequence. You have to lower the machine 1.2 meter or in 1.2 meter steps. And then in best case, the forms have got some, uh, let's say like 3.6 or 4.8 meter highs, meaning every third or every fifth time, fourth time, you have to make one pour. Or normally you lower down the curb ring, but that is uh, more or less classical state-of-the-art shaft sinking. So we haven't changed too much on the lining method so far. So there is a curb ring, then there is a, the forms, you place it on top and we fill it with concrete. The concrete even can be lowered down in buckets or we have also in, in UK, in Woods with Mine, we have a slick line. So that we will feed the SBR, which is down there one mile, up to one mile, with a concrete pipe all the way down. The SBR is rope suspended, which is the limiting factor for the depth it can reach. So the rock strength is for sure one. Just by physics, these picks cannot cut more than 200 or even it becomes not very efficient. It is more complex than this, as many listeners will appreciate. So coming from Jensen, where we cut up to 170, some guys think 180 megapascal, we have increased the machine a lot, so we have put in different stabilization, more power to the cutting drum. And uh, we think for sure we can uplift the performance of that machine. In Belarus, where the second generation was used with very good success. That's the Nizinsky mine in Luban, Belarus, about a two hour drive south of Minsk. 
the first place in Europe to use SBRs for shaft sinking, and the contractor was Redpath Daleman. It called for shafts to be sunk to 750 and 700 metres, at a diameter of 8 metres through heterogeneous rock. As with all of these systems, advance is dependent on the weakest link, and ability to cut rock is only one part. Everything must be improved at the same time. So the mucking will be organised by the hoist, and the hoist more or less should be the bottleneck most of the time. So the machine is even built with a big reserve internally. So that, for example, in, in Belarus, we could hand over officially 50 cubic meter per hour. And our machine was built with a big, big safety factor on top of that. If you've never been to Herring Connect's factory in Schwanau, it's impressive. The people on site are proud of the massive machinery they churn out. But a few years ago, they were taken by surprise. It turns out that Germany's largest TBM factory was in fact lacking something. Height. We're all used to seeing TBMs laid out in the workshops for factory acceptance and you know, to have 100, 150 long machines stretched out through the workshop. But of course, for the SBR, for the, for the factory acceptance, it was stacked up. And I can still remember arriving at, at Chuano uh, one evening for a, for a meeting next day. And as you turned off the autobahn and headed toward the factory, you could see this brightly lit white tower uh, towering above workshop uh, nine on the far side of the factory. I always remember that because it, it stood out bright white in the dark and, and that much higher. Yeah, it's also amazing to climb up all the uh, 54 meters, Roy, isn't it? Breathing. The ones that, that went to Janssen, the, the factory acceptance was in the wintertime, as I just said about seeing it in the dark. But we went there, and whereas down at, at, at ground level, it didn't seem to be much of a breeze. When you went up 50 meters, the wind seemed to be howling down the Rhine Valley. And all the guys who were working up there had hoodies and two or three la extra layers on. And those of us who'd just gone up as visitors were, were, were definitely shivering. The primary reason for this proliferation in the mechanised shaft sinking sector is demanning to improve safety, taking people out of hazardous areas. We also see it with the, the oil and gas exploration with the, deep, the big vertical drills that are done. There, the automation of, and mechanisation of the activities on the drill floor is quite important because you're taking the workers out of the most hazardous areas. Uh, with some of the other mining products that we, we Heron Connect produce, the Boxhole borer, for instance, which is a small machine for drilling small 1.5, 1.8 meter diameter holes between levels in a mine, for either for all passes or ventilation or cables. The attraction of that to the mining contractors is the safety. You're able to operate it remotely. You're not pe putting people up, up the rise, uh, and therefore you're improving the safety record. And that's, that comes over quite strongly in talking with these guys. But why now? Why the massive proliferation of mechanised shaft sinking solutions? If you look back, there is no big reason why it couldn't be done before, but it just was the right time. So, and also if you follow up the mining uh, market and commodity prices, they're uh, getting up and down, up and down. And in uh, 2007, the potash price, for example, was at this, I think, 100 year top <laughs> rating with um, 
after that, two, three, four, five years, it was crushed again. <laughs> so more or less. So that that started a lot of projects worldwide. So the, for example, all our Jensen was established with the Greenfield project. All other mine sites around, uh, also brownfields, they got bottleneck programs and invested in bigger skips and bigger hoists and so on. So the entire industry in, in Potash was, was growing at that time, everywhere. So therefore, it was, a, I would say, um, a lucky situation. Patrick says that at the moment, it feels the same, and that when the pandemic is over, it is more than likely that the industry will restart and recover. With the machinery there, and with the will there, it'll be interesting to see what developments come. The Tunnelling Podcast is a production of Rebe Media. Our producers are Alex Conacher, Bernadette Ballantyne, Rian Owen, Ross McPherson, John Young, Will North, Velo Mitrovic and Tim Sheehan. This episode was written and hosted by me, Alex Conacher. And co-hosted by me, Tim Sheehan. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. And our executive producer is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner, Heron Connect. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, tunneling.reby.media, and on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.